Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. then you usually shift postures when you're coming against an enemy. Even versus a rival, although rivals, you know, can rival you in something, okay, this is our rival, this is our opposition. But when we start shifting into thinking about what is our enemy, who is our enemy, well, then you take what? You take the approach to destroy, not to negotiate. You don't negotiate with enemies. Well, sometimes you have to, but as far as deliverance, we don't negotiate with devils. You don't negotiate with devils. You don't negotiate, (coughs) excuse me, you don't negotiate with the enemy of your soul being Satan. It's for sure. He, He plays the game of negotiation. He's the one who wants you to compromise, but he really doesn't want you to compromise. Compromise is just the entree. Once you take the entree, it's full ownership. So I know that, uh, you know, the modern language and vernacular is that Jesus is so rigid, serving God is so hard, it's so whatever, and serving the devil and and not being that rigid is, is how everything else is. But you notice that's actually not true. In the beginning, the enemy will come up and say, well, you can go to church on Sunday as long as you're at the club on Friday. Well, you don't have to quit smoking altogether. You don't have to quit drinking altogether. You don't have to quit sexing altogether. You can just, you know, minimize, diminish. But that's the entree because it's really to get you to take a bite, a piece, having the little pre-meal, and then so you can be consumed and intoxicated with it and ultimately be converted because sin owns you. What you serve, you are a slave to. What you worship, you are a slave to, no matter what it is. No matter how people talk about, well, uh, the, the rules of this and the dress code of that, there's a dress code for serving Satan. And you know there is because whenever you look like you're serving the Lord, you get ridiculed by the devil. You get ridiculed by his people. You want to know who's serving whom, by who ridicules you for what. So the more straight-laced you want to be, the more clean you want to be, the more, the more pure you want to be, you want to find out who's unclean, just clean up. You want to find out who's unclean in the house of the Lord, just clean your act up. And then you'll find out all of the unclean people in the house. 
in the kingdom, in the hood. That's where you'll find out who's unclean by you cleaning up your act, cleaning yourself up. How do you know? Because whenever you're around other clean people, they celebrate you for your sin sobriety. Can we call it sin sobriety? You sobered up out of your sin. You're no longer going to the bottle of sin, the outlet of sin, the option of sin. You're no longer doing that. And people who have walked that clean life and they've gotten it, they're like, yes, like an AA group. Nobody's being ridiculed for wanting to be sober in AA. NA. Pick an A. Pick an anonymous group, okay? Nobody's being ridiculed there. Then what do they say? This is a safe place. We won't tell your business. That's why it should be anonymous. As long as you admit you have a problem, we will work that out and respect you for wanting to work that out. In the body of Christ, when somebody starts getting, ooh, 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 so what's happening here? Oh, so you think that now all of a sudden you somebody, so you have to dress up. See, these are people who are unclean because the clean messes with them. It convicts them. It annoys them. It bothers them. It angers them. It infuriates them because that's not who they are on the inside. Once you've been clean on the inside, you are driven toward the clean. You're driven toward the righteous. You're driven toward the holy. It's attractive to you. The unclean are attracted to the unclean, or they're attracted to the pure in order to contaminate it. So you'll have your predators stalking all the clean little girls and boys, not because they want to become them, but because they want to consume them. And we have to accept that in the house of God. There are a lot of people who do not want to be clean, don't want to be holy. This whole soul series is to challenge you to do it yourself, obviously with the help of God, and hey, us too maybe, wherever you are, to clean yourself out, to treat the enemies of your soul as enemies of your soul so that your soul won't be destroyed. All of a sudden, when you're, you, know, you know when the enemy of your soul is working you and you're not working it because you deflect. You blame the leaders. You blame the people. You blame your family. You blame your sibling. Why are you always picking? Everybody's always picking. Pick, 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 pick because <laughs> you're pickable. Dr. Bryce used to say that about me. She said, you're so pickable. Now, that was actually in a funny way, like, you know, to joke and things like that. But whenever you're out of order in God and your time is up, come on, how many of us have been in those seasons? You go through your season where God understands you're trying and you don't know any better. And truly, he does. You just, you're trying, you're messing up, and you have grace and mercy and everything, and he covers you. Oh, but when it's your time to be delivered, when it is your time to rock, when it is your, I'm just going to rock on, when it is your time, everything you do, somebody has a problem with. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Why do you drink your coffee like that? Why do you dress like that? How come your shoes are like that? How come your glasses? Now, these are the same glasses you've been wearing for nine months that all of a sudden everybody has a problem with because God told you not to buy those frames in the first place. And to you, it wasn't a deep issue. I don't know why. It's just glasses, frames. It's just all those things. If you're that person, every time correction comes around, and to you it's a trivial correction, 
that's when God is going to be like, what? And so somebody's going to say, so why did you wear that? Now, why did you choose that shirt? And see, it's the shirt he told you, don't wear that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now, technically, is there something wrong with the shirt? Probably not. But it's because the Lord didn't want you to do it. Everybody, come on, the Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? And I know we think that's just a thus saith the Lord this time tomorrow. God has spoken, and by this time next year, I see weddings happening in 2022. I see houses being purchased in 2022, because that's a first. All right, it's going to rain this spring. It's going to be a rainy spring. I need you to tell me that on April 21st it's going to pour and there's going to be a tornado warning. And no, because see, even that, you may have looked on somebody's weather channel. I need you to say something that can't be found anywhere but out of the mouth of God. And so when it's your time to be straightened out, cleaned out, and, and this is what I've discovered. Can I tell you what I've learned? Can I share some wisdom, some apostolical, experiential wisdom? I gotta blink my eyes with my fake lashes on today. <laughs> Public correction pretty much only happens when you have private rebellion. There are people like people used to think I never got in trouble. I'm like <laughs> they would think that Doctor Price never corrected me. Well, you're the favorite one. Well, you're this. Well, you're that. I'm like, do you know who we work for? But I'm making my business to keep my corrections behind closed doors, see, behind closed doors, not in front. People who fight private correction usually have to get public humiliation for God to make the point. You see this with kids in the household. The ones who you just say, sit down, and they sit down, they just always like, yeah, yeah, you're just mom and dad's favorite. I just listen. I just listen because everybody was told to sit down. You didn't because you didn't think you should have to. You understood why you had to stand up. You knew why you had to run around, so on and so forth. That's the child that gets all the extra discipline because the other ones maybe did not, were not a part of the original mistake, but they just took their correction. And so with a lot of people, they are in a season of public correction, public humiliation, public irritation because they will not yield in private. Nobody gets around it. God whooped David behind how many times? It didn't become a national issue until he did something very public in his office, at which point he had to have a public correction. God had to make it a matter of record that what happened was not uh, that uh, Bathsheba's husband did not die in battle a noble death. He was murdered. And he was murdered by the king. He used his office to set that man up to be taken out, to hide his sin. Most people think you come to a point of desperation when you feel it is better to take your opposition out than to own up to your mistakes. Set somebody up, do all of that. So coming against and soul stalkers defeating the enemy of your soul. You have to take a different posture. You have to have training to defeat an enemy. Usually they're an enemy because they're usually a principality or somebody. They're a stronger man than you or just as strong. And that's why they're an enemy and not an irritant. Some things are irritants. Those, those others, there are sins, as Scripture talks about, that 
lead to death, others that don't. But when we're talking about the enemy of your soul, that's that thing. There's one hair. Okay. There's that thing that kicks up every time, and she's taught on this over the years, every time you come to the door of opportunity, the enemy of the soul, your soul pops up. You come to the door of financial breakthrough, the enemy of your soul pops up. God is about to send the right person into your life. It's just, let's just talk about friendship. It doesn't have to be marriage or anything like that. But often the case, he's, he's sending the right people and up jumps the wrong person, the wrong opportunity. She wrote about false doors and false opportunities. All of a sudden now, everybody wants to throw money at you to stay where you are. You couldn't pay your bills last month because nobody cared. And now that you've decided to serve God with gladness and be obedient, now all of it jumps up to keep you right where you are only for it to fall apart after you change your mind with the Lord. God does not take kindly to double-minded vows. He doesn't do it. Looking back, I mean, Lot's wife looked back. You know why she had to turn to a pillar of salt? He said, I cannot take you into this future. You are going to bring this same trash with you to the next place that we go. She was so upset about having to leave a life of debauchery. The environment, the world, there was so much sin in Sodom, Gomorrah, so much sin, and she liked it. People are comfortable in their sin. Come on, we were until Jesus shined the light on it and wouldn't shut it off. Talk about, I'm not ready yet for Jesus, but when I am, I know where to go. <laughs> Come on now, somebody. So everybody was there somewhere. I just had to, I know, sis, I know you're right. Eyes half closed. You can't even see straight. You so high. You so drunk. You so whatever. Like, I know, I know, sis. I know you just keep praying for me. You just keep praying for me. You, that means you're not interested in leaving your sin. It's taking you out. It's killing you, costing you your job. You miss so many days of work. You're hungover every five minutes, but you're not ready to let go of that sin. And so she clearly was not ready not only to not let it go, but would have done everything in her power to bring it in to the new place. And he was like, I, there's nothing redeemable about this woman. When you bring it, come on, you can drop angels out of the sky. They're literally carrying you out because you're about to miss God on some sin. But hey, listen, therefore by the grace of God go I. We all have to know nobody is above it. Nobody is above it. Nobody. The day you think, I would never, you're done. That's the day that Satan has set the stage for your I would never to one day be, I don't know how I got here. Everybody who gets in trouble says I would never at some point. I would never be an alcoholic. I would never allow myself to go bankrupt gambling. I would never be so stupid that I would date somebody. I would never stay with somebody that's abusive. I would never. Come on, all these people said I would never. Enemy of your soul. Got you bound up so tight. What do they say? Locked up tight like a Samsonite. So locked up, you can't go anywhere. Anywhere. This is why we're working on the soul, to heal those deficits. If you have not taken in Price University biblical psychology, anybody in the room take it? I know there's one because she said, my God, there's a couple people who are here. You need to take biblical psychology. You can take it without fully enrolling, right, Dean Gale? Without fully enrolling 
in the university. You do need to sign up. We need to get your information on the books. But um, you don't have to go through the full enrollment process that you would to enroll in a degree program. Biblical psychology addresses the soul according to how the creator made it. She talks about, I almost said episode one. It feels episodic. <laughs> Lesson one, soul tears. No, and what else did she talk about? Um, so the bliss fix. The bliss fix. First of all, fall crying in the first class. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk about Dr. Dean Gale for just a minute here. In the class after class, she just skated out the door. Just uh, polite, very polite, and be out. And one day we were like, what you do? I had to go. My, listen, I just had to go and pray. I had to recover. I had to sit. People after class would just walk out of the door and have to, because the reality of the soul, that class is so powerful. You can put it up there on the lower third, Rachel, if you haven't already. Okay, biblical psychology. I think she might be looking up the link at price.university. You can just put biblical psychology at price.university, and y'all can dig through it and find a class. I'll tell you what, biblical psychology. Now, let me tell you something. Biblical psychology is not a Bible study course. What is it not? A Bible study course. You have homework that will challenge you. See, people are slow to enroll because they're like, no, 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 this is this is school here. Yeah. Biblical psychology is a full class, multiple lectures in the week, multiple homework assignments. So don't do it if you think it's going to be a fly-by-night. I'm just going to catch information. But if you're serious about your deliverance, if you are a psychologist, psychiatrist, any otherologist, or anything dealing with people, if you are a leader in ministry, you need to get yourself cleaned up before you impart something crazy into other people. Sometimes you passing devils around thinking you're casting them out. <laughs> Talk about back up six feet and where's your mask, all right, in the spirit realm, because you are a contagion passing things around. Sometimes things don't leave a ministry because it's the leader that keeps it going. It's the leader that keeps seeding that mess. It's the leader that keeps it rolling through the people, and it keeps bearing fruit in the same kind of seasons because it's at the top. If you're in leadership, you need to take biblical psychology. We are touching people's lives. We're imparting into their souls. We're imparting into who they are, and we have got to be clean. We as a vessel, as an instrument. Now, we see in medicine, we don't want dirty you, t- you t- Come on now, what's the, the dirty scalpel? I just wiped it off before you started. We're talking about you just wiped it off. I need to, huh? Where's your, well, did you scrub yourself up to your elbows? I mean, I hit some, some hand sanitizer on the outside of the OR, so I'm good. I, I mean, I got it in between my hands. What? Uh-uh, I need you to scrub till you bleed. You are about to, g- <laughs> this is my life that's in your hands. And we, and over the years and centuries of medicine, they had determined what? That it was the doctors that were passing infection from patient to patient. It was the utensil. It was the tools. This is how we got to how did they discover all the sanitization processes? Because people were getting sick and dying. So wiping your hands off. So take biblical, listen here, I'm telling the gospel truth, the gospel truth. 
the gospel truth, in, in uh, I think it's chapter 1 of 3D, Dr. Price talks about the different types of truths. Well, this is the gospel truth on this. Yeah, you need to enroll in biblical psychology. You need to download Soul Stalkers, defeating the enemy of your soul and act like you have an enemy and not just a friend of me. You know, I just kick it with my friend of me, Soul Stalker. Mm-hmm. And devils want to be the friend of me. They certainly do. They're going to be the friend that you don't see as an enemy. That's right. Bless the Lord. He is holy. Yes. I'm excited about today. Are you you just all on fire and carrying Fire! I mean, you like, I think that apostleship is growing up I think you. I think so. I think so. Somebody turned up a flame. Well, you know, it doesn't It doesn't really start kicking until you're about three, four years in it because you've got to get to the top of the stage where you can walk around and explore stuff. I agree. Because in the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning, it's like, what just happened to me? Yes. Like, yes. who am I? What am I? How am I? Why am I? Oh, my. Where am I? Oh, my. What happened? Oh, my. Ooh. My, my. But, you know, appreciate it. One of the things that we don't realize about the fivefold, so because I'm a proponent of the threefold, mm-hmm. is the entire package, just, just reading it in 1 Corinthians 12. Right. 28. The fivefold is what we what it dispenses to the people, mm-hmm. because the threefold is about the whole complement. You know, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, right? After, after. I like after. After, after is my friend. After, after. That's because after. after after says sequence. Yes. <laughs> it says condition. On the condition of one, two, and three. After that. When those conditions are met, miracles. No. After that, no. miracles. Miracle, miracles are first, Dr. Price. No, the miracles, I want to say this because, you know, I'm, we're, I'm talking about the difference between the custodial miracles that God has just in the body. You know, it's kind of like our government has certain things that are just there for anybody. You don't have to do anything for them. You just appropriate them and they are yours. I'm talking about the miracles that God uses the same way that nations use their medical staff, the same way that nations use their, their governmental staff, their judicial staff. Mm-hmm. So those are occupational dispensations Come on. To, support that, to support that. So if you look at it, so it says after that, see, I'm saying this just looking at you. After that, miracles, and then gifts of healing. Mm-hmm. See, God has a sequence, and the church hates sequence sequences because we like randomizing. Oh, come on. The church oh. likes randomizing. Come on. You know, and, and, and they like, you know, cherry picking. I like this, but I don't want that. Well, if you can do it, I can do it. Well, nobody can really validate a miracle but the people who are the overseers or superintendents of that dispensation because Jesus says, I do cures. Right. He gave, in Matthew 10, his apostles the authority over all devils. Yes. All means all. I keep saying all is the biggest three-letter word, little word in the English language. And so he said after that, miracles. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. And then we got, 
I want to look at that because I want you to see sequence. We don't do sequence in the Bible. And I know you all like to say that, well, you know, the Bible written by man, and that, so was your paycheck, so was your card, that card that you got. Humans did that. Angels did not come down and punch your card. They did not. They did not. Humans did. So either we're going to be, either we're going to do it all together or not at all. So we have, um, I like this. First Corinthians twelve twenty seven. I want you to see the difference because this is very important. This is where you're stuck. See, these are the constitutional and institutional offices. Ephesians four eleven is instrumental. You are the body of Christ and members in particular. Now, us part particular is kind of like a filler term. Not with them. Particular meant particles. It meant parts of, each one of us being a part of. And God has set some in the church. Now, understand, not all apostles are supposed to be set in the church. He's pulling them from kingdom, and he's making them, he's pulling some from kingdom to make them ecclesial. See, if we ever just use our common sense, so he said God has set some. He did not say God has set all. Because the apostles must cover the entire spectrum of the kingdom. So God has said some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, after that, I like after. I'm going to keep on cutting off my after, after, because you need to understand that these are institutional, constitutional authorities and powers and potencies. All right, after that, miracles. Then, see, we got after, and then, and we have then. See, after, one, two, three, four, miracles. Isn't that powerful? Then, five, gifts of healings. Obviously, healing and miracles are not necessarily synonyms. So there must be different dispensations. And then, now that we have all of this power going on and we've got all of these, these officials in place and whatever, then we got helps. Because now we're needing supporters to work with these other things and to, ma- to manage or at very least tend to those other gifts, tend to the miracles, then the gifts of healing, and then helps. And then after that, government. Now, you understand that people who are unsubmitted will change the scripture for, to, to accommodate the extent of submission they can have. Oh, my. So this is government, mm. not just administration, because that's like saying every administrator is in government or partakers of government. That can't be. And then diversity of tongues. Now, diversity of tongues, and we talked about that earlier in, in uh, the passage, that has to do with the language of devils and angels. Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of, of men and angels, and yet there, is a, there are, because these spirits, especially when you're dealing with principalities, like what we're dealing with right now, these are princes. These are, these are princes that have been breeding and seeding for generations, for decades. So, 
So these diversity of tongues was to do two things. Speak with the tongues of men, all of humans, because nobody had a language class back then. You know, we didn't get a, we didn't get a other language class. So nobody had that. So God supernaturally downloaded the language of humanity, and he prophesied that he would do that. He said, with stammering lips and other tongues, while I speak to these people. It, it is in Scripture. So when I get out of Scripture, I need y'all to free because y'all know that I'm in trouble. So I said, and then 29 is the one that blesses us even more because it adds another person, a fourth power to the staff. And it said, are all apostles? Answer, no. Are all prophets? Answer, no. Are all teachers? Because, see, we, we make it, it seem as if these are assumable. These are not assumable. These are appointed. We made them assumable. I can assume the role of an apostle. I will assume the role of a, a prophet. I'll assume it because, hey, I favor that. I admire that. Ooh, it's really cool how you do that. So we, you have to find out if we, if we have a divinely appointed apostle, prophet, or teacher, or do we have an, uh, an assumed apostle, prophet, or teacher? Self-assumed. So I'm a self-appointed. That's assumed. I'm assuming this office because I said something futuristic once or twice. <laughs> once or twice. Our own teachers, and then the last one is something very potent because that's, that's based on our class, are all workers of miracles. So the function is really a person. The acts are really people. So there are people in the body of Christ who are specially outfitted to be miracle workers. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of them that have come to the fore, but they're in the bush and in the brush. You know, we are all right with saying that there are witch doctors, but we can't say that there are Christ doctors. But there are people that Jesus only fitted them to work miracles. And we don't have any kind of institutional setup for them. We don't have any kind of criteria or verifications for them. We don't have any station for them in the body. We don't have a station called the miracle worker. Yet it's an office. And it's part of the church's institution. So the first three handle constitution and institution. This one handles institution. And then we're going on, institutions continuing, have all the gifts of healing. No, no. So there are people who just are, are, are like your corner of happy and healthy. They're, them the people. You right there, they're going to they bring healing to you. They are the people you go to for healing. Why? Because we didn't have hospitals back then. We did not have, we had little clinics, they had little dispensaries, maybe. Most, most of it was just kind of, you know, so-and-so's house who just had a knack for understanding herbology. Uh-huh. A knack. for So that knack, particular action, this particular dispensation. So they have a knack for, so they could mix things. 
you know, we act like pharmacies just came out of heaven. No, they didn't. They came out of people mixing, mixing until they got it right, and it stayed right so long it became medicinal, and then it became what we have today, pharmaceutical. Everything pharmaceutical, like everything on the planet, came from the ground. So are they all? So everybody doesn't have this. And I, when I do this teaching, um, it's very interesting because the way I do it is I give you signs of knowing who's who. Because the one thing the church hates is criteria because it, 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 it shuts the door and confines things to those who do, and those, to, to the real, and locks out the false, or at least exposes the false. So do all speak with tongues? Well, we all. See, there's a difference between praying in tongues and speaking in tongues. So the people sitting in the church that Paul's talking about were praying in tongues, or they were attempting to speak in tongues as if they were communicating with a foreigner, an outsider. So do all speak with tongues, but there are times that you have got to deal with the devil in his tongue. Come on. Come on. Come on now. We assume that they, they have all languages. No, they don't. They're divided like we are. They're sections like we are. And many of them are, are, are they're not even, you know, God left a few on the planet after the flood because, hey, he had to keep the, the, uh, the law of sin and death, you know, um, going. And so he had to staff it with something because he, the law of sin and death ceased to just be in devils in a swamp and now became part of the biologics, the genetics of humanity. Are we still in love? See, so, and then do all interpret. And so, now, you know, now if you look at under 1228, it doesn't say you must interpret. So that means the capacity to interpret is not given to everybody. So this whole thing that you can't speak in tongues unless somebody interpret, no, you don't need to know the devil's business. I mean, Jesus had to speak to death, to the death. He did. When he brought Lazarus for, we heard, he broke. He groaned. He dislodged death before he commanded Lazarus to come out. So there are people, and the Bible says that here, Romans says there's groaning that cannot be uttered. And we just kind of messed around with that. No, there are groanings that use the groan for human ears. It uses as a language barrier to breach the language barrier between that rebellious spirit under the 1 Corinthians 12 group. Not the Ephesians 4.11 group. So let's Go to Ephesians 4. Now, I'm not saying none of this is meant to be exclusive because nobody has it all but Jesus. But let's guide you. We want to lead you and guide you. They said the Holy Ghost will lead you and guide you into all truth and not as signs in the sky and through his wisdom in people because wisdom calls apostles and prophets. If you don't get wisdom from them, you understand that they weren't called by wisdom. And what we've not been getting is wisdom. We've got word and works. So our, our middle W, wisdom, is gone. It's not in the equation. So we are going to go to Ephesians 4 because 
most times when you hear about the apostles and prophets, nobody really go, people really go to First Corinthians 12. They don't know why it exists. They can't explain it. It, it doesn't make sense. But yet it's saying that these three at the top are the full embodiment in some way or another of the entire ecclesial embassy that the Almighty sent to the planet to abide in humanity and to serve his people. You know, we call the ambassador the ambassador as if they are, you know, independent. No, the, the, the ambassador is the embassy. See, we think that there's the ambassador. He works for it. No, no, no. The amb- wherever that ambassador goes, that embassy is there, which is why that I'll never leave you or forsake you and go and make disciples of all nations. That was an, amb- an amb- embassy statement that those apostles were now acting as ambassadors, and they were bringing the embassy called the Ecclesia from heaven to the nations. We downgraded them to congregations. We did that. Humans did that because they don't want to fight devils. Today, a lot of, a lot of folks, these pastors don't want to get on board because they're like, I don't want to get in that fight. Well, then get off the staff. Get off the staff. Get out of the office. Go on and be a nice little gift and roam around sharing your thoughts on Jesus Christ. Just go on, be a nice little gift. That's why they keep pushing gift and not official. Because actually, Ephesians 4.11 is given to 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and 29. We are supposed to, just like our, our, our federal government, lack of a better word, and certainly in a shitty boat. But anyway, our federal government handles the states and the states handles the cities or the, uh, the municipalities or however we want to do it. So 1 Corinthians 12:28 is the totality. Everything comes from that because it's the embassy. And embassies are portable and small segments or what do you call it? Um, extensions. Thank you, God. Boy, I was kind of getting stuck there. Extensions of the wider nation that sent them. So God sent, if you read it, in Hebrews 12, he talks about the church of the firstborn. He talks about heavenly Jerusalem. So the church predates, the ecclesia, as the ecclesia of the firstborn, predates upon this rock, I'll build my church. Because it existed in heaven, how else could we go back there? So here we are, we've got 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and Ephesians 4, 11 draws from that. Now look at what it says. And he gave some. We still had some, not all. Not, but here, in, Ephesians, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it focused on the people or the officer, the person. Here, it's focusing on the bodies that they're assigned to. Okay. And they are gave as opposed to epitome, gave as opposed to set. When you study set, it means install, it means inaugurate, it means insert. It is an actual term that we would use if we opened up our organization, uh, started a new organization, and we wanted to set in place the 
those who would rule it, those who would lead it, those who would govern it. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? But now, these are the departmental folk. Okay? So this is another branch. It's an extension, but these are apartments. So he, and he gave, did me. Look up that word. It is not the same as that. So that's why I can make these distinctions. He said he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Now hear what I'm saying. He said he gave some. That means he gave two people groups or he gave two bodies. Or he even gave to regions and areas. Because back then, it was not like it is today. Back then, the, 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 the calling or the, the congregation or the body was, the ge- was geographically defined. It wasn't denominationally defined. I just want you to understand, that is why the Christians ruled the world, because they owned all that territory. They, they, they went into territories and converted whole cities, like this city used to be. Right. So it was the people in the city. And so God's government was fusing with the secularity, and they were all one in the same. Now, secular handled the day-to-day, the business, et cetera, and then, but, but the belief and the faith of the people determined the spiritual climate. So here we are. So who is some? Some are the people groups. Some are the regional or geographic areas or territories. Now, you know this because verse 12 tells us very different. Now, remember, after we had the top ones, and I say top because when you look at the word for uh, 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 apostle, comes from the roots of proton. So apostles are protonic. Because it's their job to bring in that new thing. And then we have the, the prophet and the, we have the uh, teacher. Now, what is mis- what's added here to let you know that what I'm saying is accurate are two things to touch the people. We have evangelists, which is not in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and 29. And we have pastors, which is not in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and 29. For those of you who want to say, well, what kind of teacher – 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and 29 are talking about the head of the education department for government. This one is the teachers in the classroom. You see, there's a difference. Why? Because the next thing says, what? For the perfecting of the saints. Not after that, miracles. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry, for the saints. Because constitutionally and institutionally, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and 29 define that. They describe that. They establish what that looks like when it's disseminated in a region, when it's distributed in a geographic area. So because the where do we get the error from? The error came from not just ignoring scripture, the error came from constantly causing the churches to go into a brick-and-mortar framework. And brick-and-mortar, the brick-and-mortar part began to segment the saints by congregations instead of geography, instead of territories. 
So when you look at this, if you, the whole idea is that, okay, so now, you know, when you hear the people say, well, you know, um, if you're a non-denom, you're discredited. No, we're non-denom. We're primitive. We're the primitive beginning. We are the beginning of it all because we are marked by the region we're in, the territory we're in. Now, am I against denominations? Not so much, but I can tell you right now, looking at their struggles, obviously they're aging out. Because, see, the, the dark world right now only knows the church is evangelical or Catholic or in Protestant, Protestant, and under Protestantism, we only have evangelicalism. That is not so. So for the, work, for the perfecting of the saints, this is a job description, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, it's very different. So the body of Christ, people, that's populations. Isn't that good to know? So your Ephesians 4 should be either correlating with or answering to some 1 Corinthians 12, 28, 29. Because obviously this group doesn't have that constitutional, institutional makeup or composition or maybe perspective, I'll say that. So that is why this group is instrumental, following something. And that protonic apostle, as opposed to this here, delegated or appointed one, they're not the same thing. That is why we assume that, you know, well, you know, the church is good for everything, you know, one word covering everything. But that is not how God set it up. So these apostles are the ones that go through and they set up, etc. But the 1 Corinthians 12, 28, 29, that's Peter and the Jerusalem. Those are the counselor ones. Those are the governing ones. Those are the overseeing ones. Their job is to sit down and go through all this. We, they, they are apostles because they ran on 1 Corinthians 4, I mean, uh, Ephesians 4, 11. You can't distinguish them, and they can't distinguish. So they started acting like congregational servants and messengers. Now, we had some that pulled together some organizations that were meant to hammer through some of this, but they still were so evangelical-minded, meaning they were so save-the-soul people-minded, mm-hmm. that they didn't come up with sanctification, any kind of sanctification um, norms, uniform, uniformity, because the whole purpose of 1 Corinthians 12.28 is to, matter, to come up with or to keep the church uniform and to standardize what Jesus Christ said, to do what it, with the new creation church, what Moses did with the law in Israel. But we became competitive and rivalrous and, and all of those kind of things, rivalrous rather, and all of those kinds of things because we could not see in this whole accountability thing. So we had the spirit of diatrophies running the church. I'm not going to let the apostles in. I'm not going to let the prophets in. I'm not going to obey this. I'm going to say whatever splash and dash I did is an authentic miracle, and I don't care who likes it or who doesn't like it. I, want, I wanted to, to wrap that up because I needed you to understand that there are some differences, there are vast differences between these two categories of divine leadership and authority. One is close contact with the people with the sovereign 
to bring Jesus' constitution into human form. Did you like that? How do you do? Social media, how are you doing? Are you all appreciating this? See, because you're wondering what happened. But if something starts wrong, it can only go wrong. And so ultimately, if it starts wrong, it will go wrong, and then it will time out. Because kind of like the law of entropy, it will eventually deteriorate to the point that it ceases to exist. So it goes from seed and essence to dust. You can key up any questions you might have. I'm moving on. Last time, can you believe I'm moving on? Yes, yes, yes. And you know why? Because I'm in that 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Yeah, you are. Which is why the body always struggles with me. <laughs> Baby, the body struggles with me. That I, I, that I, I come in and because people don't know how this, this branch, this stratum of apostleship, of, of ministry works, because they don't know that, <laughs> then they were expecting me to sound like Ephesians 4.11. I think this is uh, important, too, how when you assess, commission, and ordain apostles and prophets, you have different grades of apostle or prophet that they are and, uh, and phases of it. And so with the assessment process, should I just slide over? I'll just slide over. Oh, come on, because she took it like Hello. she tried to get it, right? How you doing, Dr. Bice? I'm good. Yes, what are you doing with Apostle you, you anointed. All right. <laughs> and, and appointed. Anointed. And not self-appointed. Yeah. I didn't assume. You did not. Uh, with the commissioning and ordination process, we have different grades and phases of which we are assessed. So everyone who wears the title is actually not at the same level. Let's just talk about military. Somebody can be a general, 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 general. One star, two star, three. You have to take a closer look to see of which uh, dimension and rank somebody is even within that office. And so we have discovered, I mean, she did this because of the biblical continuum precedent that is in Scripture. Not every prophet is the same caliber. Not every apostle was the same caliber. Some were named just so that the word of the Lord could be fulfilled. And that's all. The honorable mention. I'm going to honorably mention. And then there were those who actually made impact and still. And so with that, it's grades one through five. Yes, we have, we have grades one through five, and then we have phases. What are the phases, Angela? The phases are also one through five. Four, four. Oh, one, one through, through four. four in the phase. Because uh, I think the phases will address where you are in your grade. Just enter, just awakening. What is that like? Just They're before the grade. Oh, okay, right. You go through the phases and then so look. You have to go through the phases before you get to the grades. And some people just phasing around mm-hmm. and never really get into the grade. And I just wanted to say that because when you were talking about what makes you different, and uh, a lot of times when we're assessing and people are struggling with the reality of where they are not, we like having you, <laughs> grade five. Grade five. And uh, to say, so since we have a grade five model of an apostle, prophet, you know, you saw inside, mm-hmm. uh, you think you are really close to that. Oh, no, <laughs> okay, your score says that, though, and so, or those who are climbing up. 
Well, I'm glad you brought that up because did you un- did I do it? she unhooked something. I did it. Hook me. Amen. Well, something was gone. But anyway, God is good. But let me say this. You have to understand that despite what you've been told, the mob, random mob mentality of ministry that we've had is not from heaven. And we've, been, we, we've had that mob thing. But a mob, when you talk about that mob, nomadic, rustic mentality, where we're always acting like we're the field people, you know, and we're all nomads. In the, in the, and even with that, Moses was sent down to offset that, to destroy the mob mentality. We just choose who we want. We follow who we like. We, we, you know, we can assume our positions, and we will attract that which is gullible enough to, to come to us with no criteria for no reason other than they feel good. See, this is the best we have. We have mob ministry right now, and we've had it for some time. No, because with the mob, you don't know what that leader is doing. You don't know where, whether you're right, whether you're wrong. You don't know if this is the time that they have a good day, if this is the time they had a bad day. Many of you are victimized of the randomized mob ministry. Everything is randomized. Today, this is the rule. Tomorrow, there's something else. And how many times? The rule is, as I say it, if you're going to stay in my church, this is it. That's mob ministry message. Because they don't care about the righteousness of God. They don't care about God's purpose and destiny in your soul. They don't care about why you're in the planet. They only care about the fact that you flesh out their calling. Now, if you are better for it, hey, so that's coin toss. And if you're not better for it, hey, go to where you belong. A poor leader will always send you to do something on your own without ever attempting to assimilate you in their purpose, their vision, their organization. Because that throw-you-out thing is a reflex because they don't have the construct to bring you into it. I, I teach all the time, and I will say it continually. Leadership has been defined as getting something done through people. Essentially, that is right. But to me, that definition is the bottom line. Let's talk about the, the seminal part, that originating part. Leadership is really a persuasive beings or institutions way of getting you to switch your will and determination to theirs, to bring your capacities, your abilities under theirs which is why we can get something done through you. Because if we don't, if I don't inherit your will, if I don't borrow your will, if you don't yield your will, which, is, which encompasses all of your vision, all of your hopes and dreams for life, if you don't yield them to that leader, then you are an a, a, a inside resistor. Inside. And so we have been taken out by inside or internal resistors. People really didn't believe, but they wanted the opportunity. People who hoped it would work out well, but weren't willing to pay the cost for that hope. Why you got the mic? Who gave you I that? I know, you did. <laughs> who did that? How does somebody know if they're a resistor? Because they might be your biggest fan, biggest supporter, biggest whatever, but really resistant to the process. Two things. The first 
thing, you have to find out that they should not be in that position or in your organization in a significant fashion without, first of all, screening. Because you might want to just, I just want to sow my money. I just want to tell my friends. I just want to get the word. The ones who say, I just come to get fed, those are resistors. Because there's no way in the world you're going to stay in somebody's house eating at the table and not become who they are unless you're a delinquent child. Because delinquent children do that. They come home to eat. Go to bed, use the bedroom, and, and then, but they talk about you, they hate you, they gossip about you, they, they criticize everything you're doing, and they, won't, they will not become part of the household. They will not get along. So there is that delinquent minister, a member or that delinquent leader who is just like that delinquent teenager. They have very little to say that's good. And no matter what the house does, they have this hard outer shell that shields them from it. So they take in nothing but what they need to survive. So they'll take in the nourishment, but they won't take in the development. So I think that's very important. I think that you should know that. I think that was a great question. So the first thing you want to do is screen. Second is that you want to observe. Let's see what they do with the, with, uh, while they're being screened. You get the people who don't like to be screened, but uh, well, you can't tell me. Again, resisting. You can't tell me what God said to me. You can't say whether or not God called me to do this or that. Are you kidding? The whole 1 Corinthians 12, 28, 29 group is HR. We just call them KR, kingdom resource. Kingdom. <laughs> Ecclesial resource. Okay? Ex for ecclesia. So, that, so you cannot say that we can't tell you because you assume that because God didn't, didn't give you the information or bring you into his classes that he didn't bring anyone. Those apostles had a whole public training. They had labs, and then they had dinner table mentorship by Jesus Christ. And the Lord does mentor. So, so we have that. Okay, that's very important, and you need to find out that mentor. So you want to see how do they handle training. They're always fussing. They're always complaining. They're criticizing. They're pushing back. They're, they're maligning the program. They're, they're walking around disparaging it, and meanwhile doing nothing. So I say to my – when people give me a difficult time, my, my main measurement – go ahead and hit it, girl. Hit it. Okay. But my main one is, is the training changing you? Because the purpose of education is to produce a human product, a, a human product that can be inserted in civilization. So you, you know, so you all, you know, we have people come in. They tell our professors off. They let them know, blah blah blah, and they really think that we care about that noise. That's just white noise to me. White noise. It's just white noise. You know you, how your television just goes out, the Internet and skip and whatever, and it's just white noise or that little wheel just is going around on a black screen, showing up and doing nothing. So, I don't, so you have to pay attention. Pay attention to how people handle your training requirements. Pay attention to how they react to the rules that you have to preserve your organization, but also to produce and maintain Consistency. When they balk, um, fuss about standards, they don't intend to do you right. Mm. If they want to be individual instead of uniform, they don't intend to conform. They intend to change your organization. Yep. Yep. 
So they they fuss about outfits. They fuss about attire. They keep, and, and, and every time you turn around, it's about their individuality and their independence. Those are your resistors. And no matter how much help you need and how much you really wish you could just get all the folks you want, I promise you that it won't take but a while before they spread that venom, that demonic venom throughout your body, and all of a sudden your leaders don't like you any longer. They don't trust you any longer. All of a sudden they're questioning you because you are now being rivaled by the resistor. So the resistor, so, and you'll know how they are in class. Listen to their questions. Listen to the nature of their questions. Listen to the type of questions they ask, and then listen to how they balk and push back at certain principles that they disagree with without examining why. Now, in my organization, we don't train randomly. I I just don't. So when they enter my training, and she can tell you as well as some of the people in my audience, they get an outline. So when you sign on to my training, you signed on to this. We didn't sign on to you. My, my, syllabus, my syllabus is not a step ladder, okay? And so you didn't sign. So when you enrolled in our school, we have all sorts of uh, agreements because God operates on covenant, and he can't judge you if I don't establish terms of covenant. So a lot of your, you want God to fix it, but he has nothing to work with because you've never laid out criteria. You've never laid out your systems. You've never laid out the, the uh, syllabus. You've never told people what the goals are. You never, and when people come to me, well, we don't know what to do. I'm like, well, I already know you're not reading. Anything, because, I mean, everybody in my whole organization and those who've been through my programs know I don't make you learn from me in the blind because I'm measuring you to see if I'm get producing the fruit Jesus needs. Am I converting you to the being, to the person that he can use in the calling that he gave me that he wants to disseminate in the world? So you don't, our, mem- our new members class, our pe- do you know my people cannot give me an, a suggestion or an idea without a whole presentation? I don't care about your eye. Don't, don't talk to me walking down the hallway. I don't care about that. I don't listen. Say that again. I really don't. Because you're intruding on my assignment with your idea. Mm-hmm. So I need, you want me to hear you, you have to come right. Come on. Set aside the time and, uh, and act like you're approaching me as who I am. Come on. Yeah. Don't bring me stuff snatched or just scratched on a little napkin and all of that. <laughs> you have to earn the right to intrude in my, my sphere and my assignment. You have to earn that because I don't, no, 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 no. So don't. So, and some of them, they do it, and I look at them and say, uh-huh, okay. And then they'll say, you remember you told me, no, mm-mm, I don't remember purposely <laughs> because I got a lot that I have to hold on to, uh-huh. you know. So I got to, you know, meter out my space. So if you want God to correct your leadership, you need to give him something that he can correct it by. There has to be a contrast. There has to be comparison. This is the criteria. This is your conduct. These are the goals, and this is your regard or disregard for them, or this is your, your agreement with those goals. When I look at your papers and I read papers and, and all of that, I'm not looking for your creativity. I don't really care about your innovation right. unless, it, unless it fits and you are really kind of 
enhancing the curriculum. I'm looking for this is what we told you this class is about. And I have it. Don't, don't not write it. What this class is about. What you will get from this class. I have a book. Where's my book? Somewhere. Um, I have a book that I say the same thing. Assessing your prophetic self. Everyone, you know, because I have to get it right. So every part, every part that opens up, you don't have to read it in the block. You know, what you get. We give you all of this. i got to find the page because you know good and well you always want to get the page you don't need. Yeah. Okay? And so and, and everything has lists so you can understand, you know, and, and, which is what Jesus said. He said, but, you know, I mean, we told you everything. So don't act like I didn't tell you. So here we go. We have here Chapter 5 Gold. It's under the heading. If you all, anybody has a book, page 136, but, but the first one does it. So let's just go to the first one, just so you can understand that I don't educate in the blind. I don't want to, I have to do that to keep myself from rambling, because apostles and prophets can talk too much. And they ramble, and you can lose your, they lose their place, which is why they keep, they fall into prophesying. Because they don't remember what they were doing, but let me fall back on what I do. Okay? You know? I, no, no. And so here we have this call under um, Primer Guides and Games, number one, chapter one goal. This chapter will give you a greater appreciation of the prophets and your future in it. It will enable you to better understand its value to you, to God, and to his kingdom. Chapter one objectives. We have objectives, and we list them out. Chapter one scripture guides. They're lifted out. Preparing yourself for your primer training. All of this is in every chapter. And so my curricula is the same thing. My, my you, teachers, you cannot jump over that. I want you to spend time. Because when, you say you, when we say you fail God, we're not saying it because you hurt our feelings. We're not saying it because you disagreed with our perspective. We are actually saying by the measure of what God gave us to do when we founded this institution, you are not measuring up. Now, whether that is because you can't understand it and you need some tutorials, that's fine. I'm open for that. But you need to find out, you need to understand that if you keep having people showing up for classes and you're, all you're doing is randomizing and running through this one's book and that one's text, that's not an education. It is not. That's a book club. Did I? See, I don't have it. We have a whole curriculum. So when she was talking to you about biblical psychology and how we're doing it, we have a, a pathway. You have a point of beginning, and you know your terminal end. You know that if you get these, this, in the end of all of these, we have takeaways, and we have what you should know. All of us. My course is what you should know. So you can get all your deep revelations from God. Isn't that wonderful? God just helped me so wonderful. He just gave me all this. And you can just don't write it. Just put it in your journal. Okay? I do not need your testimony. I don't need your former leader's perception of this, of this particular subject. I don't need that. I need you to do what the goals and objectives say. Does that make sense to you all? So, and, and, and they know. We, they cannot grade you on what they want. They have to grade you on what the syllabus says. 
and what we got in the lectures. Some of them, we even give you lecture topics. So we expect to see that. Well, I didn't write that because I didn't want you to think I was, I was stealing from you. Baby, you paid to get that. That's why it's public. See, it's public because it's for the public. So when you, when you, when you know, because we get people, you all give us papers. I said, but we realized, did you, is that what we said? Well, no, but when I was studying, the Lord gave me, the Lord is going to give you devotionally what he wants to give you. You need to know the difference between what he's giving you devotionally and what he's giving you academically. Yes. And they don't always correlate. We expect you to go through that syllabus and we expect you to study it so you can recognize the terminologies or whatever. We even give you terminology. You don't have to make it up. Why? Because we don't set you up. To, we set you up to win. And, and so many of you all, you're frustrated with your, your church Bible studies because you really thought it was going to study the Bible. A, and you went there and you're studying everything but the Bible. And when you bring your Bible, you don't open it, and if you dare mention something in it, you get rebuked because it's a book club. It's a, an encounter group. It's not a Bible study. And so much, much of what you had, you've just had some soul encounter, some, some your faith encounters, you know, but you did not walk away knowing any more about the Bible than you did when you went in. And after 10, 12 years, you still haven't gotten to the Bible. You get the quotes. They give you little slivers. So why am I mentioning that? Because people come to our school thinking it's a Bible study. So when we have other themes and other subjects, they're like, well, I thought we were studying the Bible. All of it is Bible. All of it is Bible. When you look at all of the strands of the gospel, and there are a lot of them, we cover the full spectrum of the gospel as it has been brought to earth by Jesus Christ and as it is being cellulated in his body. So, no. You're not going to come here and argue about, well, I'm sorry, that's worldly. Baby, you, you just left television that was worldly. Come on, stop being a hypocrite. You go to your friend's house, you go to your, your everything, you tolerate worldliness everywhere but where we need to defeat the world. I'm being all right. So then the next thing, you want to make sure that you watch how they handle correction and if it speaks to them. If the first response is deflection, you got a problem. Now, that doesn't mean it can't be corrected. Don't get that in your mind. Deflection is a major flag about the character and the malleability, the yielding of that person. When they go from deflection to defense, and from defense to offense, because offense will always be the end of the line for a resistor. They have, you know, they've masked, hid, disguised it all together. Now they're fighting back. Offense means we're fighting back. So they're attacking. They go in attack mode. They attack the teachers. They attack the curricula. They attack the way you're teaching it. They attack the, the classroom. They attack the requirements. They attack. They're in constant attack mode. Nothing pleases them. 
Is that, isn't that good to know? Yeah. So when they get to attack mode, now you have to find out the root of that. What is the cause? Is it because they feel inferior? Is it because it, it conflicts with what they imagined they were getting? Is it reaching back to some sort of childhood authority issue? You have got to get into that. But when they get to offense, attack mode, that's when they become contagious. And they begin to criticize and gripe. They, they, when they're not attacking, they're griping. When they're not griping, they're attacking. And the bottom line is they, we hit a place in their, their uh, supposed calling and journey to their calling, we hit a fantasy patch, like a fantasy pothole in the journey, what they imagined, what they gave themselves to. So we're, and either we hit that or we're going to hit a delusion bumper in the road. So they're either going to – because, see, it, when, when people – they'll start out with you, I agree, I agree, I agree, this is wonderful, this is everything, this is wonderful, this is great, until you hit the illusion. And the delusion, the fantasy, why they really connected with this why they really came, what they really expected, but what they misconstrued it would take. So you have to start dealing with those misconstruals. So, when, you know, how many times you have to ask, well, what were you, what were you expecting? What did you think would happen? What were you looking for? Which is why when we do those pre-acceptance, we ask all those things. We want to know now where are the potholes, where are the bumpers, Speed bumpers, all of a sudden you're just not going to, I'm just, you know, you just racing along, racing along, racing along, boom. And you slow down. How do I know you slow down? You don't want to, you're coming late, leaving early. You're not fellowshipping with your team. You're not in on the group of group discussions. You are off of someplace. You just, you're either in this pothole or you're mad at this bumper. So you have, we, we have to deal with that because that offense part is where they begin to, dis, to attack but ultimately dismantle the faith of those around them. First they infected, and then they disintegrated. And all of a sudden, yeah, you're right. Why? Yeah, because I did. <laughs> you know, I thought about that, and, and, and the gullible will buy into it because they really are sitting on the fence on how much they want to do it. Oh, yeah. Come on. So they're fence straddling, and so all of the fence straddlers, and then all of the undercover gripers. In other words, they don't gripe in, in, to the group. They go home, and their family can't get enough of hearing it. They don't stop. They just yap 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 whine 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 yap 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 yap. And the, the family will say, "How much are we going to say? How long are we going to hear this? What are you going to do about it?" So those are the undercover gripers. And they're the ones that poison their families against what they have enrolled in just on their word and their say-so. And the family's assuming that they're genuine right. and assuming that they are right and not emotionally resentful. See, because we always have to run, against, run up against that emotional resentment. And emotional resentment will cause all that you say to be wrapped in emotional dishonesty. So you're telling the story from your point of view. 
And no matter what we teach you, that dishonesty hasn't been dealt with. So it keeps eroding everything we teach, and it keeps your, you, you constantly fuming and seething beneath the surface. I got a, I got a life. I got, no, I'm, that's the, you know, you, and imagine them in the spirit looking like this. Closed off to everything. I've got a life you don't understand. I don't want to do it. Why'd you come? Question. It's not, your life is not the issue because you supposedly resolved that when you enrolled, when you signed up and signed on. Supposedly, you resolved that. Now, we need to alter this because you refuse to change. See, because now this is an arm wrestle. Are you going to change to become what God says he needs of you or why he put you in the planet, or are you going to pummel our organization until we surrender to you, an individual? That's never going to happen. That's why people don't want me to counsel them. You know, I let, I let my team counsel. <laughs> my, team, my team is nicer. Because, see, I... I have the I have a laser view. I've been at this thing a very long time, and I'm very good at reading souls. And I'm I'm good at taking your word and using it as a scope to tell a lens in your soul. So something happens. Sometimes people meet new friends. Sometimes people go to some event and they decide that that's a lot more fun. But if you came to us for fun, then you're operating on fantasy. Because success in life is not fun. I was watching Walt Disney the other day because I was, you know, I was talking, dealing with the Disney attack, and I was watching him, and he said, he said, anybody who intends to do anything or create anything in this world needs to know that dreams have come with a lot of failures. He said at least 15. That's your setbacks, that's your setup failures, that's your misjudgments, all of that. And education is to offset some of that by giving you the benefit of someone else's experience or exposure to the protocols and the standards and the criteria that have worked forever. So you get the benefit of trial and error if you finish. But one of the things that I will not do and, and, and I've not done, I will not alter my anything for somebody else's personal advantage because I'm here for Jesus' advantage. So I'm not going to sell him out because you don't want to buy in. And that's a leadership mindset. If you don't want to buy in, that's your call. Do that. Have fun. But I'm not selling him out because you don't want to buy in. And you need to be that way as a leader because otherwise you'll be, every time you turn around, another person will have another personal uh, um, objective and you are swaying. And then next thing you know, you don't even know what it is. And the people who thought you were stable will begin to look at you as unstable and out of control. And it only takes step one. You realize that you only have to lift the latch to get into a whole room. So if you don't lift, lift the latch, then you're not in. So when you, as leaders, as far as I'm concerned, I am operating on what the Holy Ghost gave me. It's up to God to back me which I've had to live. People have fussed, they've complained, they've lied, they denied, they cried, they, they fell out, they maligned my character. And you know what? I was like, God, I'm doing what you gave me to do. Because if for me to change is for your car to sit there and say it doesn't like how you washed it, the detergent you put on it, the way you drive it, and so it's just not going to be your car anymore. Oh. I'm an instrument. Right. Right. 
I'm an instrument, I'm an implement, and I'm kidding myself. This thing was running before I came up into the planet and got on board, and when I die, it's going to still run. And if I lay down, it's going to run right over me, and God is going to hand it to someone else. A lot of you all are waiting for God to, to come back and give you what you kissed off, and he said, I'm not doing it because I, it doesn't exist. So I gave it to someone else because, see, I needed that. I needed that. I remember when um, a, a, a guy who he, he was um, two two examples come to mind. But one was a bishop, and, and and so he had a wife that just didn't want to do it and didn't want to cooperate and whatever. And he said, "I just told God it wasn't my wife." I said, "Oh my God, we're back in the Garden of Eden." Okay, so I just told God that it wasn't I wasn't doing it because I wasn't going to put my family at risk. So I said, "Well, I understand that," and I did, you know, because we all have that option. But let me tell you what God said. I was driving home, and God, you know how he replays it? He said, but what he failed to understand is that I needed it. That, and the way he said it, it was like with utter contempt, but I needed it. And a lot of you, you are so, so relaxed because God hasn't spoken on it, you assume that he agrees with your resistance. But Scripture said, but God moved on. The Lord moved on. So you, what you want God to give you because you blew it, it's gone because they had to give it to someone else because he needed it. You want to gamble, babe? I'm going to let you gamble today. Here you go. Uh, don't keep it. So I need you to hear me because you assume, because, see, people misjudge how God thinks. Remember, mind of Christ, thoughts of God. So God's thought was, I need this, and you don't care about our need, and you're going to hold that little piece of flesh up to me. When I made that flesh, and when it gets sick, you're going to want me to heal that flesh. Meanwhile, I had to suffer loss because you didn't feel like it, because you weren't willing to sacrifice all. Now, here's where it gets confusing. I guess I need to drink some water. Y'all, how y'all doing out this social media? <laughs> Let me know. Jesus. So I want you to hear this Because you need to recognize Just because you told God off Doesn't mean God let you off It's just that what you did Was not worthy of your death But it was worthy Of yourself so that's when you have to keep figuring out what you're going to do. God stops talking to you about it. Because the, the reason you were talking was because God had something for you to do that he needed you to do, and he was leading you and guiding you along the way, giving you instructions and opportunities. When you told him, I'm going to cop company that you quit to continue to bring you in on his business. You can, huh? <laughs> Think about high France, but listen, I need you to hear me. When you quit a company, they don't chase you down. They don't even hold your position open. They go and get someone else. They didn't. Humanity didn't come up with that. Heaven did. When that when that cherub cut up, God didn't say, "Oops, we're in trouble. Let's go beg him to come back." He didn't. He said, "On with the next." That's why heaven is still rolling, and he was in the swamp. So, so you all, because you're so, you're so fantastic. See, that's a fantastic.
some loser. You think that God that is so in love with your choices and so in love with your calling and so in love with your whole, your whole life that he is going to sacrifice other souls for yours. He's like, well, go live your life. And he's doing it. Go live your life. I don't care. Go live your life. Such as happened, let it happen. What you pursue, you pursue. But I got to go on because you just let me know my needs mean nothing to you. Some of you, all that mess you got in your life is because you told God his needs didn't matter. Now, I'm going to tell you why that's important. You know, hit that down. I want to hit a Look at you. Okay. There you go. Look at that. <laughs> you have to return it. But I'll tell you why God thinks like that. Because you have to get it. You're, you are one life. We don't give God credit for being the Almighty who has responsibilities, right. who has duty, who has accountabilities. He said, to which of my creditors would you accuse me? Right, 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 right. Oh. He's got creditors. What are the creditors? All those devils that won y'all in Eden? He has creditors, prayers that the people prayed all these years about you or about their lives. So when we, when we get to the point that we tell God we don't care about his issues and we are willing to talk, walk away from what he needs us to do to pedal flesh, to pet flesh, God is like, enjoy you. He said, because you will reap corruption of that flesh. You sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. Now, God is not just saying this because of your situation. He's already enforced it on eons before you. So he can't be hypocritical because you want to be. <laughs> First Corinthians 12. See, those who know their God will be strong. See, you are not strong because you don't know your God. Because either the word is true or the flesh is true. So you don't know your God. You know the preacher's God. You know the doctrine's God. You know the theology's God. You know your denomination's God. But the man Christ Jesus, you don't understand. Mind of Christ, thoughts of God. Jesus can't let God down. And you're okay with it. He said, all the way to the cross. He's on the, if this could take from me, if you could take this cross from me, please do. But nevertheless, not my will, thy will. Am I saying it or am I saying it? Now, Jesus came to the planet as Messiah, as Redeemer, as Savior, packaged in the, as a prophet. So if a prophet doesn't know God's mind and thoughts, you can rest assured they're going to trade their deity. They're going to start speaking the words of another God. So they may claim the mind of Christ, but they will give you the thoughts of the fallen devils. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. When you look at Peter, Peter had problems with Jesus all the time as an apostle. Yes, he did. On again, off again. You're the Messiah. You're not the Messiah. See, we, may, we celebrate it, but when you read it, Jesus and Peter had issues. 
So much so that when Jesus was ready to leave the planet, he said, do you love me more than these? Peter's like, duh. You know, duh. I mean, you Jesus. We've been together for three years. I've been traveling with you all this time. I mean, why don't you assume that I love you? Jesus said, no, no. Let me ask you again. Lovest thou me more than thee? Lord, I love you. You know I love you. Why do you keep asking me? Jesus is unmoved by Peter's exasperation over the question. And he says, last, one more time, lovest thou me more than these? Here's what Peter's final answer was. Lord, you know. Because the Lord knows those that are his. And those who name the name of the Lord need to depart from iniquity. Because iniquity was found in Lucifer in heaven. So it's a breeding seed. See, this is about you taking control of your soul. So he said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Okay? Peter and God always had issues. So we, Jesus rises from the dead, Holy Ghost comes, Peter sits at the head of the Jerusalem council, and by the time we get to Acts 15, James is at the head. Now, when did that, what, what transpired to get Peter off the council as its head? Peter always wanted God to change for him. He wanted Jesus to follow and to fulfill his vision for his incarnation. Now, this is an apostle. So you need to understand that God, first of all, I tell everybody, God doesn't play with apostles. He'll take an apostle out like that. He may not kill him, but before you know it, they're sick, they're dying, family crazy, son's gone, or whatever. They start up. He will let them snarl it up. Why? Because they're sitting too high a feet. So he has to immobilize them and neutralize them so that he can keep that sphere open and staff with those who will. Look at, look at them. All of a sudden, you, they go from, Peter goes from being in class every day, traveling with Jesus, he's talking, God is talking, he's getting everything into the loop to being over there in Ephesus talking about he don't eat pork while he's eating it. <laughs> No, I don't eat pork. Lips all greased up with bacon. With <laughs> the bacon, baby. Come on here. You know, see pork chop. That that Easter ham. <laughs> Peter's over there. He Paul has to rebuke him for being double-minded. But he, this is the same one that Jesus had to say, get thee behind me, Satan, once, and then talk about Satan has asked me for you, and I've got to turn you over. So as we go forward in understanding your people, I'm just giving you situations, and I'm giving you examples that you can use to establish criteria. Because, see, the wonderful thing about criteria, if you don't have it, all you have is criticism. People just criticize, criticize, criticize. And you've got nothing to say that they're right or wrong. 
And so as we go, we're going forward, so now we've at that point of what, you know, how they behave in the training, the things that they will respond to, the things that they won't respond to, when they're going to dig their heels in, and, and, and I'm just not doing it. See, I'm one of those people I don't ever argue with most. I'm like Jesus. I just loose you and let you go. Because we are, both of our words are not going to prevail here. All of our words are not going to prevail. I'm going to be the head. I'm going to give the word of the Lord and what he wants, or I'm not. So there are times people are like, you know, I mean, I just want to do, mm-mm. no, no, I won't. I don't deal with hypocritical leaders. I don't deal with hypocritical leadership, and I don't deal with hypocritical sermons because I have to fight this flesh way too hard to maintain my integrity. I have to fight to, and do things. I was like, God, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's so good that he doesn't listen. In my, I mean, that nobody's in my bedroom at night. Now, Lord, you know. And his words to Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Do you, if, do you love me? Because God's word is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will do what I say. See, that is hard. A prophet said that. Not an evangelist. Not a pastor. A prophet said that. The prophet who created the institution said that. The prophet who authored all of the prophecies that preceded his arrival said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do what I say. And sometimes God will test you. But he said, I'll always test you with the foolish. Didn't he say that? He's going to test us with the most stupid things. Because people leave God for the dumbest reasons. And they think that, oh, please, I'll come back when I'm ready. And, and realize that that window has become a wall. Isn't it kind of like those, those radar movies and whatever? You, if you miss that, that opening, it's a wall. You come back again, it's a wall. Well, wait a minute. Wasn't there a window there? Okay. I knew there was a window there. I got, wait a minute, I got it on my phone. Window, here. You're looking, got all the things around it, but it's a wall. And you know what that wall means? God's put a partition between you and that calling, you and that destiny, you and that assignment. He just put a partition up. He didn't tell you you're fired. He didn't have to. You just can't get back in that way. And don't let him mess around and give you a second chance, because then he's like, oh, okay, I'm not, this, you're a habitual rebel. Because people habituate their rebellion. And they want God to just, but God, you don't understand. I love it when they say, well, God, you understand, I got children. God's like, I have children too. I got children, you got children. Well, you don't understand, God, I have family. Yeah, I, what, do you, what do you think you are? Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, after whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We are the family of God. We're the people of God. You want to give God excuses that he's already resolved. I don't care how much they tell you that God believes in family first. Jesus Christ, the author of Scripture, says, who is my mother, my brothers, and my sisters? He who does the will of of God, half of y'all got rebellious family who are not doing God's will, and you really think God is going to understand? He's not doing it. He's not doing it. He's like, are you kidding? Your family hates me. 
So why am I going to give them any kind of credence? They hate me. Your children hate me. Your husband hate me. Your wife can't stand me. Your mother cusses me out. Your father dogs me. Your brothers drug, drug out and drug, put themselves on all kinds of substance so that they don't have to deal with me. So don't bring that to me. This is the middle W. See? The middle W. Wisdom. For wisdom is the principal thing. So get wisdom. And with all you're getting, get understanding. You need to know thoughts of God. Because God doesn't think. He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Did he not say that? Does anybody know how that goes? My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your way. Go ahead, prophet. So God is like, you want to think of the earth. Are you kidding where you're going to end up? Your body is going to the dust. And I want you to hear me because God is really dealing with this. He said, I'm tired of you bringing me up your families as an excuse for your rebellion. I'm tired of you bringing your children to me as an excuse for your rebellion if you know I called you. Now, you should get affirmation and confirmation, but if you also took it, if you, he said it is a, it literally, it's a curse to put your hand to the gospel plow and then take it back. This is Jesus. This is a man who's been, who made people, and he didn't just, his first work is not Adam. His first work is Jesus, his first begotten. So God has been working with humanity and whatever. And see, we have it in our minds that, that he hasn't dealt with these issues, but he did. He had a cherub. And the cherub, which is pretty hot, because the cherub are what he wrote on. And he had a cherub who decided he did not like being a cherub any longer. He wanted to be a deity. And he did a campaign and started talking to people about how bad heaven is, about how he could do it better, how I could, okay? I like the word iniquity, and I tend to do things as an author. I tend to do things with words that, words that help me understand them. For example, iniquity. <clears throat> In the middle of the word iniquity is the word quit. He quit. His first estate. He quit his original calling, his original being. So when you think about, because some of you all are walking around and you're praying to God, and you, I don't even know where this is coming from, but you're praying to God, and I mean, you're praying. God, and I, they, you know, my pastor should get it. My bishop should get it. My apostle, my prophet needs to understand. I just want you to recognize you may have the mind of Christ, but you th- you're not thinking the thoughts of God. And Jesus thought like God Almighty because that's whose seed he was and still is. Jesus thinks like God because he's God's gene. I don't know if that hits you. But he's God's gene. So he thinks like his father because he's, he's his father's breed. He's the only breed that 100% is like God Almighty because he is the Godhead. So he doesn't think the way you think. 
oh, no, the Lord understands. And, and then you ever notice when people say the Lord understands? And I want to say, so what does he understand? I need to know. Well, he understands I'm doing the best I can. I said, so if I nailed that and laid that against thoughts and intents of the heart, what intent would he see? Because he knows what you said. But what intent is he reading? Because Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word, which I'm giving you, is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. So he gave Jesus a commission. He gave Jesus a mission. He gave Jesus messiahship. He gave Jesus the Savior, Redeemer, all of that. He gave that to Jesus as the Son of God and the Son of Man. So he comes to earth, and he shows it to us. And he shows us how God ordained humans to live and how he ordained and construct to obey him, to serve him, to choose him to give us the realization that the problems, our problems in earth are not what we thought they were. Right. So Jesus shows us to what extent does God want us to sacrifice and submit to him. And God says, how about the cross? How about the grave? How about hell? Because the only way you're going to get into God's side of life is to make it out of hell. And scriptures say we must believe. So I'm going to, I want to show you this because a lot of you all, you, I mean, this earth is so proliferated <clears throat> with devils that you don't realize that there, I mean, if, we, if, if, if all of us have two angels and two devils, and then we got those in the animals, those in the creatures, then we have the devils in the atmosphere and in the, and, and whatever, and likewise the angels. Do you realize that your thoughts are not your thoughts all the time? You can't tell God about your heart because he says your heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Out of your heart comes all of that sentiment. I call it soul silt. So all of that comes out of your heart, and you think God is buying it because he's not talking. Because God is, listen, we have a problem because we don't realize that God is God. He knows himself. He knows that if he opens his mouth, something has to happen. So he doesn't talk to you because he's not trying to destroy you. So he keeps his disturbance and his anger to himself until he gets ready to vent it. You can read that in scriptures. When I vent my wrath. That means you're storing. He's storing like we have. We have relationships and people that have so helped us we stop talking because we know it's useless because we know if we open our mouth, it will be devastating. So it's important for you to understand that as he is, so are we in this world. So people know when I stop talking to you, I don't really care. You have been moved into another place, and I just want to do my job with you as, a, as a, an apostle, as a shepherd. But as far as all of that, I don't do it. I just won't. And I won't do it because if I'm going to address the issue, I've got to address the cause, effect, consequence, sequence. And that could turn out pretty ugly. 
the hardest thing to do is realize, even in some of you all in your relationships and in your marriages, your spouses stop talking and that you think you won. And that's unfortunate. As long as there's communication, then there's room for negotiation and there's room for mitigation. So God will stop talking because he knows that the only thing he can do is tied to the judgment, and he's not ready to wound or injure you. So he distances himself. He doesn't leave. He distances himself. He cuts your channel off so you don't hear him either. He puts this wonderful, he just squeezes the channel, and he reroutes it to whomever he has to use to get done what you refused. And most people... It, it takes you years before you realize God stopped talking. Mm-hmm. See, I don't let him go that long. Hold on. Hold on, Jesus. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Now, King, come on. Now, we may have some issues, but I need you to never shut up with me. And he said to me, then you need to obey me. See, there are and people think because God didn't kill them that they are not wrong. But remember, I talked to you about what? Flaws, faults, fatality, and lethal. Remember I talked to you about that? Because not everything is lethal, but it will ultimately be fatal. And that fatality may be in your house, may be in your family, may be in your money, may be in your career. It may be. But ultimately, because God's got to do something with everything that we do, he either has to avenge it or reward it. Guard it and keep it. Or toss it away. What did Paul say? And turn such and one over. Yeah. See, those are those are literally models and samples of how he handles things. So you have to listen to people. I listen to people when they start talking all of that. I say, yeah, but well, you aren't going to do much. I know, I know that this is a ten, nine, eight, three, two, one with you. I don't have to tell them. I just wait and let it play out. You know, God could have told His whole creation that iniquity was in Lucifer. They would have said, but why? He could have started judging Lucifer when he saw it, which he ultimately did because he began to distance himself and turn his darkness, his light to darkness and all of those kinds of things. But he couldn't, he couldn't chasten him for it. He couldn't, uh, you know, correct him because he was like, well, why is the most high beating up Lucifer? I mean, he's a good guy. He's our friend. You know, I mean, we got a church today that would pray for Lucifer. They're praying for the devil. How are you going to pray for what turned, caused you to have to go to hell? Because they, they, because they think they have the mind of Christ and they lack the thoughts of God. And see, because God doesn't think like man. He doesn't think like man because he's not mortal. He created mortality. He's not mortal. He thinks like, like human because he is human. But he's not the human version that sold humanity. He's the human version that bought it back. So he bought humanity back from hell. I will ransom them from the grave. This is very important. And then what he did, because remember, it was biotic. What he did then was he gained the right to kick Satan out of humanity's vessel. 
That's what he did. That's why you can get, you, you got saved because Jesus bought the right. And what did he buy the right with? His blood. And for those of you who are in the medical profession, you understand how big that is. That the, and it wasn't even a drop. He couldn't just give a vial. You know, we want to take your blood. Here's a little vial. No, no. He had to empty himself of all his mortal blood because if he kept a drop, it could be a soul. So he had to pour all of his blood out, all of the material stuff, all of the earthly stuff, and the only thing he could take with him was the blood that he left in heaven when he became flesh. That's what the Holy Ghost brought to him to raise him from the dead. The, you know, the Bible just calls it the power of an endless life. So the blood's power is what Jesus received in hell when he was born again. That's a powerful thing. But that blood didn't change your soul because your soul is tied to your will. See, your soul has a master controller called your will. And as we go into future discussions, we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to end it on this path, this thing, because I think it's very important. If you all would follow me, it's important that we, here we are. Okay? This is important because we're, we're in Resurrection Sunday season. Yeah. Okay? And um, it's important for you to recognize that Jesus rose from the dead. Abolish all of the reasons sin in the flesh reigned. He had to rise as a different species. For the first time, humanity would, would be fused with the Godhead. I need you to hear that. But he could not do it in, in human form because God had to switch his soul. That is why we do so much teaching on the soul. Now, here's why the problem was in, because he handled it in the spirit. He was born with the spirit of God. So God's spirit, our new creation spirit, must convert our soul. So let's just look at this as I wrap this up. Psalm 16:10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now that's Psalm. He prophesied through David that when he gets to the planet, he will die, and his soul will go to hell because that's the only way he, for him to get the righteous out of it. He's got to die to pay the ransom. The ransom is the blood of your first begotten son. That's the ransom. So here we are, Acts 2.27, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Now, that's Peter's first sermon. He said, now, we know our father David is dead. 
and he's buried, and his bones are with us today. Jesus was not buried in the grave because he was not to go through the decomposition, the decay of everyone else, because he was going to need that body. Because, you know, the rule was, you know, from the death, you, from the dirt you came, so there we go. So look at this. Let me just, I want you to get what's important about this because you need to understand how we give you bad teaching and you literally think that, you literally think that the reason that we go through all of this is because we, uh, God really is going to say in the end, hey, in the end, he's going to say, hey, uh, all y'all come in. It's all right. You know, we thought it through. We're calmed down. We're not angry any longer. Now, the Bible said God is angry with the wicked all day long, all day. I'm telling you. So the conclusion is Jesus went to hell. Now, if God, I'm, I'll keep saying this because it's important that you get it. I hope we can see this. Hold on. Let's see if we can get to the rest of them. So some, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for what? His name's sake. God does it. Psalm, that's Psalm 23.3. Psalm 19.7. You know how they say the law is done away with? But here it says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now, why is the law still effective? Because souls are still born dead in sin. And it takes the word of God from that new creation spirit to remove those death codes. First John, excuse me, third John 1, 2, Beloved, wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Philippians 2, 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trivial. We are supposed to do it. You know how people say, God wants me to stop smoking, he'll take it. God's not smoking. Okay? God got two kinds of smoke. The incense prayers are righteous and the Holy Ghost. That's it. That's what he is. Nothing else. So he's not dying for smoking. You are. And God is like, if you want to kill yourself, oh, death, that's fine. I'll be here when you arrive. Okay? Hebrews 10, 39. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. 1 Peter 2, 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. Lastly, Jude. And others faith with pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. You understand the issue is a matter of soul. The body cannot make it to heaven. I know that we, we, you know, we get all caught up with them being sleek and them being shapely and them being powerful and seductive. Mm-mm. God can care. That's why it gets old. Because if it was all that, why does it age? Okay? Why does it deteriorate? Why does it get fat? You know, I always love it when they tell me, well, you know, the body, the naked body is beautiful. I said, which one? Because, yeah. <laughs> see, y'all not showing all them. Oh, see? 
Which one? You know, that, that, that 90 year old fat bag, I'm sorry. <laughs> Honey, or in some cases, the 50 year old fat bag. I want you to know. So when I think about it, when I think about it, and we think about what, what we're talking about, our souls are important because they have an afterlife destiny and a disposition in the afterlife. And they determine whether or not your new creation spirit gets to join it in God's eternal world, like it was on day six of creation. Because your soul can corrupt your spirit. I know that we were told, oh, no, your spirit is brand new, and it's not invincible. It doesn't get invincibility until we get to 1 Corinthians 15. But 2 Corinthians 7, 1, as, a more, as others, your, your soul can actually contaminate your spirit, which is why Paul says, cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the spirit and the flesh, which is what Jude is saying. We got to yank you out. That garment they're talking about, that's your salvation garment, but that's your soul. That's what God put over your soul to tolerate looking at you Cause until it's clean. Hallelujah. Y'all all right? I just wanted to give that little bit. You know, I'm just, you know, I just wanted to give that little bit because I think that we need to you all need to start working on your soul salvation. You need to start working on the salvation of your soul. You need to do that because when we start getting to our study of the will, you're going to be surprised how much it is all in your hands. And my job is to inform you because we haven't informed you. When God started talking to me about that, I was like, well, God, nobody talked about that. They told me when I said the sinner's prayer, I was going to heaven. Jesus had to say, um, I know y'all got to be loving on me. He said, but I did tell you you had to endure to the end. And now we understand the end of our faith. That's a powerful story, statement, wouldn't you say? The end of our faith is the salvation of our souls. Can God really, really do that? So thank you all for listening. We have hit the end of the road. Social media, I appreciate you. Thank you all for the seeds you're sowing. And, you know, you wonder where messages like this come from, other than the mouth of the Almighty. You do, huh? The messages like this come from the people who are pleading to be free. They come from people who want to get it right. They're asking God to tell them what is wrong, what are they facing. What we, only, we think messages are only for those who agree. And that only the people who are praying to be accepted and forgiven, etc., are getting answers to their prayers. But God is going to have more and more sermons like this to let us know that everybody's prayer has got to be answered. There are people who are caught up in addiction, don't know why, have gone to program after program after program, and you're out six weeks, six months, you're back again, and you're sad inside. You actually want to kill yourself. So God is telling you that I've got your answer. I'm the answer because everybody can't get free off inspiration. Some people must be free off education. And some of you all are asking for the intelligence, the truth, because truth is the intelligence that makes free. 
And so, so when you you can say I just don't I, I don't agree with this. I mean, Dr. Price is just heavy, whatever. But understand, God doesn't God doesn't only answer the prayer of the righteous. God answers the prayer of the earth. God is going to I'm telling them bring that starving starving lion a wildebeest to eat. Now we're gonna cry over the wildebeest, and we didn't realize that the lion was dying. But God got a destiny for that line. See, we are not thinking his thoughts. God has got to answer all of the prayers of the, the otherwise, why he said, he did not say saints ought to pray. He said man ought to. Humans ought to always pray. People, the reason we saved is because we prayed when we weren't. And all of us have stories about how God rescued us came and got us while we were in our mess, all drunk and stupor, laying in our vomit, dying on the side of the road in a situation we can't get out of, and there was Jesus. He came for us, and we weren't saved, but we were chosen, foundation of the world. So when you, when you want to criticize a message, make sure that somebody else isn't praying for the answer you hate, for the solution you, you renounce. Because God's got to answer everything in whom he has given life. If you get that, then the mind of Christ and the thoughts of God will make perfect sense to you. And you will understand that not every sermon is supposed to make you feel good. The reason we're here right now is because you got all of these preachers trying to make you feel good when in your soul you know you're miserable. And if you could do something to get rid of that misery, you would do it in a heartbeat. Well, listen to this ten times. And let your captive soul be free. And then after you listen, well, before you do that, share. Share with your friends. Share, share, share. Share with your friends. And then sow a seed. Because many times liberty or ransom has got to be more than an apology. There are times repentance has got to be accompanied with something of sacrificial value. We've talked about that before. But here's my last point, and I, I, I can't sign off until I tell you this. We want to walk around talking about we're the head and not the tail. We're above only and not beneath. We are the kings and priests to God. Do you understand that God is all of that and was all of that before he made us? And he had to put himself through these same paces to earn the right to retain his seat. If you're going to serve the Lord, if you're going to lead for God, then you need to understand what he does beyond blessing your life. Because, see, God thinks chastening you is a blessing too. Now, we don't think it's a blessing, but... God thinks it's, you know, God is the first one to say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I'm only doing it because it's good for you. He said, I chasten everybody I receive, everyone. And sometimes that chastening is uncomfortable. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it's debilitating. But he chastens. Why? Because he can't have the incorrect in his seats of authority in mass. And that's what he's going after. So make sure 
that you don't put your mouth against something that God is calling a blessing to someone else. Love you dearly. Join us, Congregation of the Mighty, where God stands at the embassy here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 8 o'clock Sunday school, 10 a.m., Sunday service. We don't know what God's going to say on Sunday service. We just we show up. There you go. Bring a friend. But until then, have a blessed time and listen to this several times because it's going to change your soul. God bless you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.